the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a couple quick things, programming notes tonight here at our church. We're going to be teaching or I'm going to be teaching um, the, the last study in the book of Haggai. Um, Chapter 2, we're going to close the book. It's been three studies, or tonight it will have been three studies. And boy, for what we're going through, what we're dealing with here at Calvary Chapel, it's hit right at home. Tonight is going to be a very, very uh, direct uh, and even a hard-hitting Bible study. So I've been dealing with it now for a few days, and and uh, tonight we're going to be doing that. You could watch it online at calvarysa.com if you can't get here, but we've always got a lot of room on Wednesday night, so no problem uh, if you want to join us. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the Date Day Show. This week has gone so quickly. It seems like Paula was here yesterday. That was last Thursday, but it seems like she was here yesterday. Uh, but she will be here on the Date Day edition of the show, so Whatever is on your heart, especially ladies, uh, if you have anything to ask or need any encouragement, she will be here tomorrow. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Um, this is from Anonymous from our email inbox. Uh, on Monday, you addressed men not having an excuse to not work and be lazy. Is that for men specifically, or does that go for women or stay-at-home moms? You know, I always wonder what the motive is for a question asked like this. I don't know if this is an angry man who thinks, well, they need to work too or what. Uh, stay-at-home moms ought to be stay-at-home moms. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, we live in a wonderful time where women can decide uh, to uh, have children and go to work, or they can have children and go home. I think that's a decision that we need to arrive at after a lot of prayer, and we need to arrive at that decision in agreement with our um, spouses. And, uh, and then it's nobody else's business. Now, uh, single women... Uh, who uh, don't work uh, if they um, are not able to take care of themselves. Um, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't, but but I think working is a good thing. I want to address that specifically. In the question on Monday, I was specifically addressing a man who was not supporting his family um, 
They were living financially difficult lives because he wouldn't go to work, and there's no excuse for that. So the, the rest of this um, uh, is is just situation by situation, but these are decisions that we have the freedom to make. Uh, stay-at-home moms are great. So, I, again, I don't know what the motive for a question like that would be. Here is a question. This one comes from Annette from our mobile app. Pastor Ron, I have a question about the wise men who came from the east, referred to in Matthew chapter 2. I heard it said that they may have been successors to Daniel, who led the wise men of his day in the time of the Jewish exile in Babylon. Could you shed some light on that for me, please? And that there are some who say they have the, the connection back to Daniel. Daniel would not have been one of these magi or wise men. Uh, these were astronomers. Um, and um, uh, they, they would be people that were interested in the scars, the air stars. They were they were um, important people. They were prominent people. Um, but um, that's really all we know about them. Now, there's a lot of tradition that traces back. I'll talk about that very briefly. Um, but let me say there were there were probably more than three of them. We assume three in our Christmas narratives because there were three gifts that were given to the Lord. Uh, but but the Bible nowhere says that there are only three. Uh, there could have been more. Uh, tradition gives us their names, Gaspar, uh, Melchior, and uh, Balthasar. Uh, but uh, again, the Bible doesn't say it, so we don't know whether or not those traditions are true or not. Um we know they were from the east, most likely Persia. Uh, it's modern-day Iran. Uh, Daniel, of course, was in captivity uh, under Persian rule, but in uh, modern-day Iraq. So we don't know what uh, association they might have had with Daniel. Daniel, certainly in his role, uh, would have been at a position higher than they were. Uh, but um, they were; these were important people, uh, probably very wealthy people, and they had an interest in this star that was coming um, um, out of Israel or out of Jacob. And so we need just to, we don't know. We just don't know any more than that. Um, we're just glad that they're part of the Christmas narrative. Um, they were men who clearly um, believed God's word. Uh, they sought the king because they found him Jesus uh, and they recognized that what he was worth as indicated by the expensive gifts that they brought him so uh, that's all we can say about it we don't know any more than that about them um, but were they traceable to Daniel the answer is probably not um, but we don't know that for sure thank you Annette I appreciate the question very very much here's a question from Andrea why does God allow evil things to happen? You know, uh, Andrea, Romans eight twenty eight says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Um, even the evil things. Uh, God used the devil's ill intent toward Job, Job to to have a relationship with Job that Job couldn't have had any other way. Uh, God has always used evil things to accomplish his will. Uh, and I guess the point of your question is why God doesn't just stop them from happening. Well, the reality, Andrea, is that we are responsible. Human beings are responsible for the bad things that happen. Um, you know, we are sinners and we're the ones that ruin God's perfect world. And let me say this, the most evil thing that's ever happened on this planet has been the treatment and the subsequent crucifixion and murder of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So God didn't even stop it when his son reached out and said, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me. And God's answer was no. So typically, God doesn't stop evil things from happening. Having said that, there are a lot of evil things I believe that God stops from happening. I really believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is called the restrainer, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men and women, his church. Um, we're, re we're restraining evil. Somehow, so God restrains evil. And we look at all of these evil things that are going on in the world. And um, 
All I know for sure is that we can't blame God for them. You know, it's interesting to me, Andre, and again, I don't, I'm not assuming this is the intent of your question, but it's always frustrating and interesting to me why people blame God for bad things. I guess the, the, the thinking is, well, if he had the power to stop it, he ought to stop it. Um, but many times if God would stop evil things from happening, he'd have to stop a lot of us. I mean, evil in God's eyes is different than evil. We we think of evil things, and we think about um, all the horrible things that happen in this world. Uh, but evil to God, who is perfectly holy, those are evil things. We consider many of those evil things small things. So if God were to say today, okay, I hear the question on the word to stand up for life, so I'm going to stop all evil today, um, that means he would have to stop us from sinning. A time is coming, Andrea, when he will do that, but that time isn't today. So God doesn't intervene, uh, at least as far as we know the evil things that happen. But as I said earlier, I think once we get to heaven, we're going to find out that God stopped a lot of evil things from happening. I just want Christians especially, uh, for you, Andrea, and anybody else, don't blame God for the bad things that happen. There's a devil that rules this world. He's a little g-god of this world, the prince of the air, Paul calls him. Um, we humans do so much evil on our own. Um, horrible, horrible, evil things, the way we deal with other human beings. Um, our gossip, our hatred, our unwillingness to forgive. So there's just all kinds of evil things that happen. And um, we just can't blame God for those things. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you have a question, you'd love to call three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Chad. I think this is an interesting. Will you talk about examining yourself daily? What does that really mean, um, Chad? It means a couple of things, and I think this is important. Paul tells us that we're to do that. He clearly did that. And what that means is we got to get up in the mornings and make sure our heart is right with God. And I think the inclusion of the word daily uh, when Paul wrote it is really important. You know, we can think, well, I'm okay today and nothing bad happens, so I'm okay tomorrow. We, we need every day to put our heart in a position where God can deal with it. Now, there's a couple ways that we do that. One is we uh, get into the Word of God. Word of God is a mirror into our soul. And when we are uh, reading the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of sin. He's going to point out things that we should be doing that we're not doing and things that we shouldn't be doing that we are doing. And uh, He's going to convict us of losing our tempers. He's going to convict us of ungodly language. Um, he's going to convict us uh, about our motives for doing things or wanting things. And and uh, that's why the, the Word, the Bible, has so much value in our lives, because reading it will keep you straight. David wrote that, I, I've hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The Word will keep us from sinning if we just give it the opportunity to do so. And we need to be honest about that every single day. The other thing I think we need to do, Chad, is we need to talk with the Lord in prayer. Uh, I've said many times on this program that prayer is just a conversation with God. We make it way more difficult than it needs to be. You know, we get on our knees, we change to King James English, we raise the cadence of our speech and the volume of our speech. And all we have to do is talk to Jesus. That's what prayer is sharing your heart with him. And when you're in a conversation with somebody, if something's not right in that relationship, Jesus is going to let you know. And we need to take him at his word about that. So that's all it means. It means that we really need to examine our heart. And, you know, it's easy for us uh, as Christians to look out at other people and judge what they're doing. And we can try to be spiritual and say we don't judge, but the reality is we do. We all of us do. It's very, very important. So all we have to do then is say, Lord, my heart is before you. Reveal the junk in there. And then let me repent. 
and then fill me overflowing and afresh with your spirit. And Chad, that's what it means. It's something that has to be done every single day and for many of us, many times throughout the day. If I see something and my initial reaction is cynicism or or uh, something negative, I need to stop right there and say, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to think like that. You know, God has helped me many times, Chad, over the years, keep me from embarrassing myself or embarrassing others. I don't say things, but I know those things are in my heart, so those are the things that I want to deal with. I think there's one other area that we need to examine our hearts uh, daily as well, and, and that's whether or not we are in the will of God. My Bible study tonight is about uh, obedience or a lack of obedience, and um, um, you know we need to be sure, Lord, am I in your will? Am I doing what you told me to do? Is there anything between us, Lord? Very, very important. Good question, Chad. Thank you very much. Let's go to Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Ruben. How about you? Um, I'm doing well. Thank God. Uh, I have a question and also a prayer request. Psalms 51. um, We all know that Psalms is about David calling out to God. Um... Several times, he, like in the beginning, he says, my transgressions are, depending on what book you have, or what Bible you're reading out of, uh, my sin is daily before me. Um, and then later on, he talks about um, his sins. And then he says, against you and only you have I sinned. Now, my, my, my question is, you know, do we know which specific sin he was talking about uh, when he wrote that? And uh, second thing, if, if we as Christians, uh, okay, I mean, I'll just, I'll just, I, I'll just say it instead of just. I have a problem with something, and I've been trying to tell you for years, mm-hmm. but I just can't. I have a problem with something, and uh, now that problem could have got me, get me in a lot of trouble. And would God help us get out of that? And I, and I think I already know the answer, but I just, I'm just like fighting with it in my, in my, myself, and then reading Psalms 51 and trying to figure out, well, how did David do it? What? You know, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. So I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, you're making sense, Ruben. This is an important question as well. Um, I know we got Greg holding on line one, so Greg, please be patient. I'm going to take a couple of minutes with this because it's it's an important question. You know, the the difference between David and most of us, Ruben, and I'm not going to talk about you specifically, uh, but but David was different than most of us because David truly hated his sin. And that's what identified him as a man after God's own heart. And this was a particular sin. Psalm 51 was written uh, after Nathan came and busted him for, for his affair with Bathsheba and subsequent murder of her husband. And, um, um, you know, he tried to get away with it. Uh, Psalm 32 says that when I kept silent, my bones inside were were wasting away. Um, he was really struggling with it, and he didn't do anything about it. And finally, Nathan came to him and pointed the finger and said, David, you're the man. And in that particular case, that's the sin that he was talking about. But this, in principle, applies in all sin. All of our sin is a sin against God and only God, first and foremost. That's the thing we need to understand. And Nathan's message to David was, God speaking for the Lord, have I ever withheld anything from you? So it's really important we understand that David hated his sin. And when he cried out against thee and the only of my sins, surely that was sinful from birth. Um, uh, my sin is ever before me. All of those statements are just factual. Uh, Reuben, your sin, whatever it is, is before you every single day. And what you've got to do is you've got to get to the place where you hate it. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, there's good news and bad news in the sense that people say, I'm struggling with something. 
because struggling with it indicates that the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. They belong to Jesus, and, and they know what they're doing is wrong. But the bad news is at some point you gotta, you've got to win that struggle. And the, the, the reality is, and as harsh as this might sound, um, when we don't overcome a particular sin, it's because we don't want to. Now, we feel terrible, we feel guilty, we know we shouldn't do it. Uh, the devil pounds us with condemnation. But the reality, the reality is we don't really, we don't really uh, hate it enough to stop it. If you hated it at the time when you were being tempted, you'd open your Bible and you'd say, uh, no sin is, is uh, I've encountered no sin except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He won't let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. And when I am tempted, he'll provide a way out. And then you could crowd, Jesus, I, I need that way out right now. I don't want to do this thing. The problem is that for many of us, we've got too much idle time. We sit around, we focus on the sin instead of focusing on God, and that's where we get in trouble. Now, Reuben, uh, I'm concerned because you say this could get you in trouble. Uh, God will not He's been knocking on the door of your heart for a long time. I don't know what kind of trouble you might be in. But the reality is he won't deliver you from the consequences because without consequences to our sin, there's no way that we're going to learn to stop sinning. And this is really a matter. It's as simple as do you really hate your sin? And if you hate it, you'll stop it doesn't mean you won't be tempted. It doesn't mean the devil is going to give up. What it means is that, God, I'd rather be with you than to do this thing, whatever it is. I'd rather be with you. And so, Reuben, that's the way you've got to deal with the sin. Jesus said, if your left hand offends you, or your left eye offends you, uh, pluck it out. If your, your, your hand offends you, cut it off. And obviously he didn't mean to do that physically but but what he's saying is this is how forceful we need to be with our sin and um, the relationship God wants to have with you is really difficult for him because this sin is standing between you and Jesus and he wants to change it thank you for calling Reuben I will be praying for you let's go to um Greg in Bulverde on line two. Greg, thank you for being patient. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Good to, good to talk to you. Hey, uh, just kind of a follow-up from yesterday. Um, you know, something that uh, I get a chance, because maybe you can kind of keep me on in case I have a follow-up question for this, too. But um, something how God had, uh, or Holy Spirit had confirmed with me that when he spoke to me uh, three Sundays ago, was uh, he reminded me that the voice I heard back when I first got saved 39 years ago, and he spoke to me a couple of weeks after I got saved, and I realized that was the same voice I heard 39 years ago, exact same voice. It was like, wow, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is totally amazing. It was crazy. Yeah, Greg, and you then, and I uh, age. God never does, so that voice is yeah, the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, and then uh, he confirmed it with a, a phrase that he used when he was talking to me. And I heard that phrase again It's it just just within a few days afterwards. And I haven't heard this phrase in so long. And um, but so given to my question here is uh, I'm almost kind of getting the feeling I should do some some fasting over this situation. And with what God told me to do and how he told me to pray, Um Tell me about fasting. Uh, what is your experience with it? Uh, you know, I know there's different types of fasts. Um, how how do we how do we pick a fast? I guess kind of is part of the question as well. And and how does fasting, uh, you know, apply to a situation? How does God use that to to benefit the situation or benefit us? Yeah. I'll do that, Greg. And, and if uh, if we get run into the break and you want to stay on and follow up, uh, just do that. Uh, I'll be very upfront with you at the beginning. I'm not a huge faster. Uh, Isaiah chapter 58 is really the authoritative uh, passage or chapter in the Bible regarding what a real fast is. I think sometimes we get to the place where... Um, you know, we think, OK, well, I'm going to go hungry and Jesus will have to answer my prayers. And, and, and that's a negotiation that never works. 
Um, the, the idea of a fast is to deny your flesh. The idea of a fast is to say, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm yours and the things temporally don't mean anything to me uh, because I'm looking for things eternal. And Greg, I, I, I've known you on the air for a few years here, and and uh, you know your heart seems to be there. Um, so I'm not sure a fast uh, is going to accomplish anything. Having said that, if you feel led to do it, you need to do it. And um, typically, fasting is food, but there are other kind of fasts. The Apostle Paul suggests a. a, a, a Fast from physical intimacy inside a marriage, only a short time and, and, and for the purpose of hearing from the Lord. Um, but there are other kinds of fasts. And I think if the Lord is calling you to a fast, he will let you know what that is. But remember, the fast doesn't leverage God into any position at all. The fast uh, is is not something that we do. And, okay, God, I'm fasting. It's been three days. Now you have to speak to me kind of thing. He wants to speak to you, Greg. He wants to speak to you. And so just be patient. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Uh, Lord, I need an answer. I'm not going to do anything until I get this answer. I need to know what you're saying to me, Jesus. Hey, we'll be back on the other side of the break. Greg, hang on if you need to follow up. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's an interesting question anonymously from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, regarding Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10, was it just the feet? Why feet and what does the blue signify? Let me read the verse and then I'll deal with this question. Uh, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, a bright as bright blue as the sky. Um, And why the feet? Well, first of all, we know that God doesn't have feet. Um, Jesus said the Father is a spirit. So this is clearly symbolic language. And and the, the, the passage says under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire. So uh, it, it wasn't a pavement made of sapphire, but but he's just trying to describe it. Uh, this is reminiscent of Revelation chapter 4, when John's trying to describe it. He says, also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So the descriptions are similar. But under his feet means he is in control of all that's under his feet. So that was the symbolism of what they saw and it just indicates that God is in control. The blue, of course, is reminiscent of heaven. Um, it's just the throne of God. Uh, very, very um, beautiful symbolism here. And that's what he's doing. And um, this is when, of course, that God is about to give uh, Moses, come up to me and, and I'll give you the tablets and the stone with the law and commandments I've written for their instruction. So he's just saying everything in heaven, under his feet, he's in control of the angelic world. And we know the that angels delivered uh, the, the stone tablets. So this is just sort of symbolic language to suggest that God is in complete control and we're, we're to understand that Moses uh, and the others uh, saw this 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 picture and they just used human language to describe it as best that they could. Thank you, Anonymous. I appreciate the question. Here is a question. This one is from another Anonymous. Um, people in the world keep saying that truth changes. So how can we respond to that change or to that kind of thinking? Um, anonymous... Um, you, you know, I, I don't think these are honest questions. Um, the truth never changes. What was true 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago is still true today. 
Um, obviously, we have more information, but nothing, no real information, information that isn't from uh, from uh, the enemy. Um, nothing can change the truth. So uh, what I usually do when somebody says, well, you know, truth changes. Pilate said truth changes. What is truth? Uh, and Jesus had told him, everyone on the side of truth, listen to me. Pilate knew what was true at that moment, and he chose to ignore it. Well, the world that we live in, they too are ignoring what is true. What's always been true, what they know is true, what they've believed in their heart was true. Suddenly, when it involves sin and we can find reasons in this world to 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 change what we believe because we want to, uh, then we just come up with a well. Truth is subjective. There's no objective truth anymore, and and by, by definition of the word, there is no such thing as truth that is not objective. You know, we live in a world. Anonymous people say, "Well, my truth is different than your truth." Well, uh, one of us isn't telling the truth. One of us or both of us aren't telling the truth because the truth never changes. Now, let me go off slightly off the context of your question for a moment, because I get this all the time when people are reading the Bible. They'll say, well, to me it said, no, it it says what it says. And what we need is to allow the Holy Spirit to interpret what he says and then apply what he says in our lives every day. We had the question the first half of the program about what does it mean to examine our hearts every day. Uh, We need to be sure that we're being honest with the Lord. So here's what you say. God never changes. His immutability is one of the great things about him. I, I love knowing that I can get up every day and the goalposts haven't moved. You know, when I got up today and when I get up tomorrow, um, the, 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 the goalposts are in the same place. I don't have to worry about something that changed because God never does. His word never changes. And um, typically you're going to get met with... Um, People who think, oh, well, well, you're just so naive or that kind of thing. And, and what you do is you just say, well, you know what's true and I know what's true. You can deny it if you want to, but I'm going to embrace it. So truth doesn't change. If it changes, it's never been true. And that's so important for us to understand. You know, I don't know how old you are, Anonymous, obviously, uh, writing this question but if you're in my age group you can go back uh, 15 years and it was impossible that a man could ever become a woman or a woman could ever become a man and yet here we are why? because the world completely ignores what's true and then when we want to sin we try to find ways to justify or rationalize our sin and so we just go find other people that are dumb enough to believe these kind of things as well. So that's how you respond to it. But please understand that it is almost never an honest question. And there's no value in arguing with people who aren't going to be intellectually honest with you. So good question. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Joseph wants to know if church hopping is a healthy thing to do. Uh, Joseph, no, it's not a healthy thing to do. We're to be members. And I'm not talking about membership the way churches describe it, you know, where you sign a covenant contract, uh, those kind of things. Um, um, Just being a part of a body. We always tell people at Calvary Chapel when they ask, well, how do I become a member of of this church? Um, my response is always, have you been here more than twice? Yeah, well, we consider you a member. Um, so, so, uh, but, but that membership, involvement with a body in fellowship with other believers on a regular basis is really that important. So that's what we really and truly need to understand. Church hopping, usually, Joseph, is uh, because people don't want to... Um, be accountable. Uh, they don't want to serve or they don't want to give and they figure, well, you know, I'll just go and listen to the messages and listen to the worship and I'll go to this church one day and the, the, another church the next week. That's simply not healthy 
at all. And typically those are very, very immature Christians. Uh, it's just not good. I've had somebody try to describe to me why they do it. And he said, well, you know, I want to get all points of view. No, you don't. You just don't want to serve. You don't want to sit under the authority of a pastor. You don't want accountability. All those things that God says you need to do. And uh, too many people say, well, that's just not for me. And so they just go from one place to another. But it's not healthy. It's not a good thing at all. Get involved in a local church. Find one that teaches the Bible. Uh, Find one that will allow you to use the gifts that God has given you uh, to serve others in the body. And your church experience will be really, really wonderful. Gino says, how much authority do we have over the devil? Um, We have zero authority, Gino, over the devil. Now, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He has infinite authority over the devil. So uh, we can't shout the devil down. You know, I always have this picture in my mind of us binding Satan. You know, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And I see him sort of over there, uh, you know, giggling at us uh, because he knows he's going to pound us. I think of the seven sons of Siva who were Jews who were, uh, they they said they were exorcists and they commanded the devils to come out of this one person said, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, we command you to come out and the, 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 the demons, well, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? And I think that's what happens. The only power, the only authority we have over the enemy, Gino, is walking in the power of the Spirit. And that means to be walking in obedience, to be walking in the will of God, um, walking with short accounts and sin, you know, making sure that, that we've repented uh, and asked forgiveness for our sins. And then um, the enemy can huff and puff, but he can't do anything other than try to scare you. Uh, Jesus is the authority. One thing I do, Gino... Uh, I try never to talk to the devil um, over the years. There's been a couple times when I've forgotten that and slipped. But I try never to talk to the devil. Um, when I, I'm under spiritual attack, then one of the things I do is I just say, Jesus, I want to talk to you. You take care of him. And that, that's what I want to do. I want to hide behind Jesus. Hebrews says he's my big brother, and big brothers are to protect little brothers, and that's exactly what Jesus does. So the only authority we have is the authority and the power that comes from walking in the will of God, of being with Jesus, and, and having a heart that's been purified from sin. Thank you for the question. Ooh, these next two questions hit close to home for me really close to home, especially this first one. Uh, Both of these are anonymous. How is it possible to trust God with the free will decisions of our adult children? It is so hard, he or she says. Um, I'm a pastor, and um, I watch these kids that have grown up in our church making horrible decisions, anonymous, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And yet there's nothing that I can do to change the decisions they're making. But here's what I can do. I can count on God who loves them way more than I do. He loves them way more than I do. And all I can do is pray for them, set an example of what walking with Jesus looks like, and then trust in the fact that God loves them more than I do. And and the reality is, if you don't trust God with the free will decisions of your adult children, then you're going to get involved and you're going to end up getting in God's way. You know, our, our kids, especially as they become adults and start making their own decisions, uh, it's not... A parent is not supposed to be able to control that child. It's time for that child to grow up and and find his own relationship with God. And and sometimes the only way they can do that is by falling down. And they fall really, really hard. You know, Anonymous, we live in a time, and and this is stuff that's going on all over the world that we live in. Um, Our children are being brainwashed. 
And too many of us as parents aren't doing anything about it. We're not controlling their social media intake at home. Then they go out and we wonder how they can come home and say they're gay or how they can come home and say they're trans. It's just that we haven't exercised enough control when they were young. uh, and, And it's our responsibility as stewards over those children that God has given us. It's our responsibility to set a good example of what walking with Jesus is. Now, we're not accountable for the decisions they make. Some of the best parents I have ever seen have kids who have made horrible decisions. And sometimes parents that really didn't do a very good job at all, the, the kids get excited, get fall in love with Jesus, and they're doing great. So there's no short answer here, but here's what I can say. God is the only one that you can trust. And what you need to do is you need to stand with Jesus against the decision that your children are making, no matter what that costs you. And then you've got to be able to say, Lord, he or she is in your hands and you love them more than I do. And I can only tell you, Anonymous, there is going to be a lot of heartbreak and heartache. It's just the world that we live in. Here's the other anonymous question. It hits close to home. Um, we'll get a phone call first. Okay, don't want to keep people on the phone waiting. We've got Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I wish that you would expound on Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20. And the other thing I want to say is I can't wait to get to church to get bathed in the Word of God because I watched that um, IRS Hunter Biden thing on Fox News today. And it was like watching a train wreck that you can't take your eyes off of it. And now I just can't wait to get to church. So if you'll expound on um, chapter 18, verse 20 in Proverbs, I would just love to hear about it. Bye. Thank you. I don't really know, Cindy, how what, what there is to expound from the fruit of his mouth. The man's stomach is filled uh, with the harvest from his lips. He is satisfied. Um, you know, the, 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 the context there is, is um, uh, man's flesh. Um, so I, I really don't have anything that I can say about it, you know. Um, we 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 I, I think that's an Old Testament way of saying that we reap what we sow. So the the junk that comes out, you know, the the verse before is about an offended brother, um, um, is more in yielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barren gates of a citadel. And then it says, from the fruit of his mouth, uh, the things that we say, uh, we're going to, to, to reap where we sow. So if we're quarrelsome, if we're causing division, then for sure um, we're going to have that thing. And um, um, the, the following verse says that the tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So it's how you use your tongue. And uh, you're going to reap a harvest from the kind of speech, the speech patterns that you um, practice. That's what that says, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Let's go to the other question that was a little too close to home. Anonymous says, I have a daughter getting ready to go to college. I'm afraid for what might happen. Do you have any advice? Anonymous, I don't have any advice. Trust God. That's what I told the other question. But but the reason it's so close to home, I've got two granddaughters who are going away to college in just a couple of weeks. One is going uh, into uh, going to Minnesota. Uh, she's on a, a soccer scholarship. And the other one is a volleyball player, and she's going on a volleyball scholarship to San Francisco State University, and that terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. So believe me, I know what you're going through. And uh, all you can do is trust that the job you've done in raising your daughter has prepared her for this very moment. And of course, I know you're going to be on your knees praying for her um, daily, just like I'm going to be praying for uh, Asia and Ileana. But that's really all we can do. You know, our kids have to go out in the world. They've got to grow up. Uh, they got to make their own choices. they got to learn their own lessons. And college is, and, and not just college, but when kids graduate, some who don't go to college, they go in the military, or others will go into the workforce. Um, you know, the, the, their tree of choice is going to be out there every single day. 
And they've got to learn to deal with their tree of choice every single day, just like you did, just like I did. And all you can do is pray for them, be available to them. Uh, my granddaughters, both of them, now I don't think they'll take me up on it. They live, both of them in California, but um, they know they can call me anytime with any question or any problem. And I want to be there for them. But uh, if they get in trouble, I'm going to tell them, look, this is what you did. Here's the way out of the trouble. Um, but they've just got to protect who they are. And that's, that's really all we can do. And again, I, I so understand and empathize with what you're feeling because it is a scary environment. Now, I'm certain you've had conversations with her about uh, the professors and, and students trying to rip their faith away from them, steal their faith. Um, the, you know, reinforce that she knows what's right and what's wrong, that you're proud of her and that you trust her. Be honest with her and let her know that you're afraid of all of the bad influences that she's going to be around. But then let her know that, that you really believe she's going to be just fine. And then again, let her know that you're going to be there. So, you know, again, that's the best I can do with that. Here's a question from Kevin. He says, I'm sorry, he says, I have a lot of dreams, and a friend from church says he can interpret them for me. Is this okay? Kevin, I would stay as far away from that as you could possibly stay. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of people. I'm a dreamer. Uh, nightmare. I have nightmares. Um, I have some dreams too, but but mostly they're just nightmares. So uh, I understand that most of my dreams and my nightmares come from my subconscious. Um, once in a while, I'm aware that 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 the the nightmare in particular is demonic in origin, um, and and I've got to remind myself when I wake up in sort of a little mini panic, I have to remind myself that oh, it's j- just a nightmare, just a dream, it isn't real. And uh, those dreams, those nightmares are not from God. It's that simple. Um, If you have a dream that you think might be from God, if it is, God wants you to know what it means. And he will reveal the meaning of that dream to you. And he will do it at the moment you need it. It may not be something right away. I've had a couple of dreams in my life that I knew were messages from the Lord. One of them I knew instantly. I got up the next morning and knew instantly what he was saying to me and what to do. Another one I waited four or five months for. And, and the Lord was preparing me for something. And when I needed to know uh, because of what was going to occur, uh, he was right there. And, and, and I had it. So um, if if a dream is from God, you'll... If you're patient, you'll find out exactly what it means. Now, the problem with having other people interpret dreams, first, there's no gift for interpreting dreams. Now, we see that Joseph could interpret a dream and Daniel could interpret dreams. So there were times when God does that for people. But the reality is uh, these people are going to have a lot of pressure on themselves to come up with an interpretation for your dream. And if it wasn't from the Lord, then they're just guessing. And a lot of times there's a lot of damage done, Kevin. There's a lot of damage done. People are are are, are moved to fear and other things, uh, even dread sometimes because of these uh, these interpretations. But interpreting dreams, Kevin, is not your friend's gift. So just tell him thank you. But no, I'll just trust the Lord is going to reveal. And this is a principle we all need to remember. If God wants to tell you something, believe me, you'll get the message. It doesn't have to be from a friend. To everybody else out there who thinks that you can read, uh, interpret dreams or read people's minds or that God, I've had so many people over here say, well, I have the spirit of discernment. And I said, well, I hope you all do. Uh, and we get that from reading the word. I say, no, God tells me stuff. And I'll say, wait a minute, you mean he tells you stuff about other people? Yes, he does. And, and I have to tell him, no, that's not the Lord. And uh, he's going to be busy talking to you about you. And I know that upsets some people because they think, no, I have that discernment too. No, you don't. You just don't. God will not speak to you about somebody else unless 
He's been speaking to that person about something, and that person has ignored him, and you're God's sort of messenger. But we have to be super, super careful. Why anybody would want to speak for God, I don't know. But but we've got people who do that. So, Kevin, just ignore your friend. Thank you very, very much for the question. Jerry wants to know, I think this will be the last question of the day. Uh, as a believer, will I ever completely overcome lust? Um, yeah, you can. It doesn't mean that you won't lust. It just means that you'll be able to take those thoughts captive. Kevin, that's really, I mean, sorry, uh, Jerry, uh, it's really important that you get this. It's, it's, it's not that the thoughts won't come. It's that you'll deal with the thoughts. Biblically, the weapons we fight with are not earthly weapons or carnal weapons, but they're spiritual weapons for the taking down of strongholds, Paul writes. So um, just take those thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ, and you then can overcome the sin of lust. All you have to do is remember, run to Jesus with that sin. So very important, but remember, in our flesh is no good thing. The devil is going to be very persistent in pushing buttons, and he's going to push that replay button over and over and over. That's why Paul says all other sins, speaking of sexual sins, all other sins a man commits are sins committed outside his body, but sexual sin is a a sin committed against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's how important it is. Jerry, just keep fighting and keep winning and praise God. When the devil, when it doesn't work anymore, he'll go to something else. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. Good news, Paula will be in studio tomorrow. I am Ron Arbaugh. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.